you know, I love avocados, right? But I love avocados when they're perfectly ripe. But you let an avocado go overripe? Yuck, right? Kind of throw that away. It's like that, is that this has been waiting so long. God has given the earth so many chances and it's overripe for judgment. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at ccechopark.com. Join us for our live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation. The Revelation chapter 14, right there at verse 1. Okay, so John records this. He says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Verse 3. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one can learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from, from the earth. Verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever, they, wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. Verse 5. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. On these 144,000 that are described in, in verses 1 through 5, but there's a context to this. Interesting insight or interesting details that gives us an interpretation specifically who these 144,000 are, why they are standing with the Lamb, which is Jesus at this time, and why I believe that they're standing right there in Jerusalem. Really, the Battle of Armageddon that's kind of alluded to in verses 17 through 20, which we see referenced specifically in chapter 16, verse 16, and then when Jesus returns in Revelation 19, he wins that Battle of Armageddon when the sword comes out of his mouth. Uh, I'm going to give you kind of this backdrop to kind of help us understand our first five verses. Okay, so when we go to Revelation chapter 7 and we pick up at verse 4. And it says, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So who do you think they are, 144,000? They're of Israel, right? Do you think they're the church? Do you think they were another group, maybe, that's going to come on the scene later? Well, you know, a lot of churches think they are. They think that they're the 144,000. Do you know the Jehovah Witness thinks that they're the 144,000? And all these other groups. But that's the danger we run into by not taking things literal. Again, if we can take things literal, I think we should. Now, there's certain times we need to see sim symbolically what, what's being described. And we looked at it in the two beasts, right? But we're always cross-referencing to, right? Other language, other scriptures, right, that support why we think that the beast out of the sea is Antichrist and why the beast out of the earth is the prophet, the false prophet, okay? We see this, okay? So right here, we kind of underscore this that it spells it out. It's of all the tribes of Israel. So we believe this is Israel. God says what he means and God means what he says. It's not the church, okay? 
Okay, so with that, when we go to chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. We believe that this is speaking of the same group. Revelation chapter 7, supporting why we believe that God is not finished with Israel. Firstly, because in Revelation chapter 7, we know that that's in the tribulation period, he spells out. 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe. Right here, it refers to the 144,000, which I believe is referencing the same group in Revelation chapter 7. So you take these scriptures, right? And we see that God is not finished with Israel. Now, I want to give you some other scriptures, specifically that highlight the different covenants that involve Israel. Now, these covenants are unconditional covenants. What's an unconditional covenant? Well, God is going to be good on His word in that covenant, even though it's not conditioned upon Israel's performance. Just like the new covenant. Is the new covenant conditioned upon your performance? As let's say, you know, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, but then let's say a week from now that you kind of, well, you know, I made this big mistake. I cheated on my taxes. Are you now out? No, it's an unconditional covenant. It's not conditioned upon your performance. It's unconditional. It's conditioned on God's word and God's promise. Okay, so there are these covenants to Israel, right? And they're unconditional covenants. And this is why we believe that God is not finished with Israel. And so I'm going to just give you a list of these, okay? And you can mark these in your notes. These are something you want to read in your own time. It's all over Scripture. God is not finished with Israel. And the reason I want to review this a bit is because there are people, brothers and sisters in the Lord, that love the Lord, they believe that the church has replaced Israel. Okay, so I don't see that in the Scriptures as a whole, specifically in Revelation, but I'm going to give you some of these Scriptures to cross-reference in your own time. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 through 14. I want to read that in your own time. Zechariah chapter 12, Minor Prophets, chapters 10 through 14. It's almost at the end of your Old Testament. Okay, So in there, you're going to read verbiage how Israel, all Israel is going to mourn because they realize that they made this mistake. I believe this is going to happen right there, right, right around the middle of the seven-year tribulation when Antichrist turns on Israel. So we've talked about this and studied this, how Antichrist is a false Christ. Not only is he against Christ, he's a counterfeit. And so he looks just like the real. He's going to broker this deal. He's going to be a political figure. Broker this deal between the Arab nations and Israel to, so Israel can rebuild their temple. right? And so he's going to allow that to happen. And so Israel is going to say, hey, this might be the Messiah. But he's going to be a false Messiah. But at the middle of the tribulation, right, he's going to turn on Israel and want to be worshipped as God. At that point, I believe Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 through 14 pertains to it. It's a prophecy that... All Israel is going to mourn. They're going to finally realize that they actually rejected the one true Messiah in Jesus. Okay, that's described there. So it speaks of the latter days. So all that under the theme that God is not finished with Israel. Israel will repent, all Israel, and they'll receive Jesus as Messiah. Okay, another scripture I want you to turn to, or actually mark in your notes. I'm just going to explain it. Is the, is the new covenant. The new covenant being poured out upon Israel. Remember Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34 talks about how God is going to write His law in their hearts. They're going to be born again. Now has that happened yet? What's happened for us, the church, has not happened to Israel. It will happen to Israel. And it's the new covenant being poured out upon all Israel. Now we just studied this in Ezekiel. I don't know if you remember this. 
not this past Wednesday, the week prior when we covered Ezekiel chapter 36. We're in the context of Ezekiel. Remember, the glory is returning. After the glory departed, right? The glory returns. How does the glory return upon Israel? It's in the latter days. And so remember we studied in uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, that's that classic chapter about the dead bones, right? They're dry bones and they come back to life. And he breathes life into them. Remember that word ruach in uh, the Hebrew, right? Life, it's a wind. He breathes spiritual life into Israel again and those dry bones become, become life again. Well, prior to that in Ezekiel 36, in the context of the glory returning to Israel, it talks about the new covenant being poured out upon Israel. Matter of fact, hold your hand here. This is one that I think oftentimes people forget. Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 is a classic one, but in terms of, the, of all Israel being born again. But if you go to Ezekiel chapter 36, I'm going to read this to you. Verses 26, 27, and 28. This is specifically talking about the new covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary. That all Israel is going to receive that and be born again, given a new spirit. They're going to come to life again. Okay, so in verse 26 of Ezekiel 36, let me read this. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Verse 28, then you shall dwell in the land. That I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Now when is Israel going to dwell in the land that he gave to the fathers? If you go back to the Abrahamic covenant. Which is another covenant that needs to be fulfilled. Which is why God is not finished with Israel. In Genesis chapter 15. God promises to Abraham that his descendants will possess the land. Amen. And so Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, it specifically gives the boundaries. I don't know if you knew that. Now, you have to do a little bit of homework because the kind of uh, the Canaanite nations that, that are in the land at that time, right, they, they're not existing today, most of them, or a lot of them, right? And so you have to do some homework, but you can actually do this. You can actually see maps of what that intent. It goes all the way down into Africa. Into the area of Egypt. That's all the land that God gave to, to Abraham. Now, we know that that's not applicable today, right? Israel is a little sliver there, right? And so, Israel has never possessed the land to the boundaries that was given to them in the Abrahamic covenant. So this is another covenant that needs to be fulfilled. When is it going to be fulfilled? It's going to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. That's why God is not finished with Israel. Again, you can read this in Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. So the Abrahamic covenant has not been completed. But the new covenant, as I mentioned, has not been completed. As we read Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26, 27, and 28. The Spirit is going to be poured out upon all Israel. They're going to be born again. And then they're going to possess the land. This is what we're reading in Revelation right now. The Spirit is going to be poured out upon this 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe, right? They're going to survive the, uh, millennia, uh, the tribulation. They're going to live on into the millennium and possess the land to the fullness of the boundaries that's given to them in the Abrahamic covenant. So, we have the promise of what? The new covenant? All Israel shall be saved. The church is saved, and there's the Messianic Jews right now, but all Israel hasn't been saved. That's going to happen in the tribulation going on into the millennial kingdom. But then we also have the what? The Abrahamic covenant. When that happens, they're going to possess the land to the fullness of 
the boundaries given to Abraham. But what's another covenant? Remember the Davidic covenant? Let me read you the Davidic covenant. This is from um, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. You can read this, mark this in your, I'm going to read this to you. This is the Davidic covenant. God promised David, says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is the promise that God has to David. His house and his kingdom will endure forever before me. Now, it's more, I believe, than then just a spiritual. Many would say, well, Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's right. He's out of David's lineage, right? And so Jesus is ruling and reigning spiritually. But there'll be a time when Jesus returns and he's going to rule and reign physically. And so I believe the Davidic covenant will not be completed until that happens as well. Okay, so we have what? The Abrahamic covenant, we have the Davidic covenant, and we have the new covenant. They all need to be fulfilled, completed in Israel. These are all unconditional covenants. God's word will come to pass. It hasn't come yet. When is it going to come? It's future from now, right? It's going to come in the millennial kingdom. Because of this, now there's a wealth of scripture that you can cross-reference. I've just given you, some, given you some. Because of this, we believe that God is not finished with Israel. And because God is not finished with Israel, when we read Revelation 7, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel, we believe that that's what it means, literally. And so, now, Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, let's read. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. We believe that this is the 144,000 in Revelation 7. It's Israel. Okay, so I want you to underscore this and note this. It says, I looked and behold a lamb. Who is this lamb? Well, this lamb is Jesus. So these must be believing in Jesus. Now, this is in the latter days, right before Jesus, right, is going to return. John has this vision. And it's a vision of the Lamb standing on Mount Zion with this 144,000. Now, where's Mount Zion? Anybody know where Mount Zion is? No? Mount Zion is Jerusalem. It's a city on a hill. It's Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting, the context here, people would say, well, it's actually in heaven. A lot of times Mount Zion is referred to heaven, right? And there's the new Jerusalem. But I would just share with you that this is actually physical in this earth, Jerusalem, during the tribulation. Now, many would point to verses 3 and 4, actually 2, 3, and 4, saying, well, the context is heaven. Because it talks about this new song being sung and these creatures right around the throne and the elders. Right? And then it talks about the 44,000. And so, well, that's heaven. Now, I understand, yeah, that would be heaven where these four living creatures, right? The four angels are around the throne there. And we have the elders there, which I believe are the church. Remember, we talked about that in Revelation 4. Yeah, that's in heaven and there's worship going out. But I believe that the scene here is physically from the earth. Okay, so let me, let me qualify this. So let me kind of uh, explain this. It's the same with us now, right? We're here on this earth. We're worshiping. Is our worshiping... Heard in heaven? Oh, absolutely, right? As we worship, as we pray, right? They can, they can enter in in heaven. And so I believe this is what's being described. And there's some, some reasons for this. Firstly, 144,000, they're sealed. They can't die. The enemy can't take them out. So if they're in heaven, 
Something must have happened. They must have died, right? And so they're on the earth. They're on Mount Zion. Not the Mount Zion in heaven. They're in Jerusalem. And who's in Jerusalem with them at this point? This vision says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. I believe that Jesus is on Mount Zion with his 144,000. The Mount Zion is Jerusalem. That Jesus is in the city, right? In Jerusalem with this 144,000. Having his Father's name written on their foreheads. Now, so what's written on the foreheads of the 144,000? The Father's name. So we have a little bit more insight. Remember in Revelation 7, what did it say? That they have the seal written on their forehead. We have, what is that seal? Remember we have, what is that seal? No, it's not 666. No, absolutely not. Okay, the seal is the Holy Spirit. Remember, written on Israel. Remember? And that seals them, keeps them alive. Okay, so remember we, we kind of did some investigation. Now, we thought maybe it could be the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit in Scripture is what? The seal that guarantees our redemption. We've talked about this in Paul's letter, right? The Holy Spirit is the seal. When we become born again, the Holy Spirit comes in us, right? Our sins are removed. The Holy Spirit comes in us. And that seals us until the time of our resurrected bodies. And so when Jesus comes at the rapture, what's he going to look at? He's going to look for the seal, the Holy Spirit. Right? Everybody has the Holy Spirit. They're going to receive, at the twinkling of an eye, a body made for the heavens. And so we noted this, that the seal on the forehead, perhaps, it's some kind of marker, but it's the seal of the Spirit, no doubt, right? And so, right here, though, it says, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. That's the seal. So, who's the Holy Spirit? It's God. Who's the Father? It's God. So, could this be, right? The Holy Spirit is the seal, but it has a, spe a special mark, right? Giving the name of the Father. We don't know what that is. But we, we take this literally, that this 144,000... Antichrist can't touch him. Satan can't touch them, right? They're sealed by God. And so these are the ones that are standing out on Mount Sinai with the Lamb. So the question is, why are they in Jerusalem at this point? And why is the Lamb in Jerusalem at this point? Why is Jesus in Jerusalem at this point? Okay, so this is where I wanted to go to the context of Revelation chapter 14 to explain this. And this has to do with the judgment that's described from Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. There's two judgments that's referred to there, okay? Now, after the description of these 144,000 in Jerusalem with the Lamb, right? The, um, uh, the revelation in verses 6 through um, four, uh, 13 gives the revelation of the gospel going out to the ends of the earth through angels, Proclaiming the gospel. Okay, so this is right at the end. Right before Jesus returns, right? And the gospel is going out supernaturally through, through angels. And so no one's going to have an excuse. Oh, you know, I didn't have a chance, right? And so even though there might not be even evangelists out there, right? Because these ones are evangelists, 144,000. They're all in Jerusalem. And so all over the earth, angels are going to go out and they're going to proclaim the gospel. And people could receive it, right? And have eternal life. And so that's described in verses uh, um, uh, 6 through 13. But in verses 14 through 20, it describes judgment, a reaping of judgment, right? And so in verses 14, 15, and 16, it talks about a certain type of, uh, of, uh, of ripeness for judgment, okay? I want to read you verse 15. 
It says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, which is Jesus, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. To reap what? Is to reap judgment. Right? It's at the end. They've denied the Lord, and so now the Lord's going to return, and so there's going to be a ripeness for judgment. Now this word ripe, it's interesting. If you look it up in a concordance or a linear Bible, one of these things that takes you to the Greek word, it literally means, it's the word for overripe. It's shriveled. It's far past judgment, right? God has waited so long. And I believe that this is referring to the seven bowls of judgment, which are going to be unraveled for us in Revelation 15 and 16. Okay? And so, that's for that. Now, let's read uh, a reference to the ripeness in, in verse 18. This is a different judgment, okay? So, I believe this first one that's described, this, this reaping of a harvest of judgment, refers to the bowls of judgment. In verses 17 through 20, it's referring to the specific judgment of the battle of Armageddon. Okay? Now, in verse 18, it says, And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Now, this, this word ripe and fully ripe, it's a different word. And it's a word that means that they are in the prime time of harvest. Okay, and that's why I believe that this is a reference to the Battle of Armageddon. And the Battle of Armageddon is referred to, I believe, in Revelation chapter 14 verses 1 through 5. I'll explain that. It's also referred to in Revelation chapter 16 verse 16. Armageddon is actually spelled out. And the context there in Revelation 16 is in the sixth bowl of judgment. That's the preparation of the Battle of Armageddon that this um, waterway is going to be dried up and there's going to be troops from the east coming in and there's going to be a massive army coming. And it's going to be amassed by the Antichrist to try to take Jerusalem. Which gives us the context of why these 144,000 are in Jerusalem with the Lamb. This is why I wanted to read the whole of Revelation 14. Now, when does the battle of Armageddon actually actually um, uh, exercised and won. It's in Revelation 19 when Jesus returns. The sword from his mouth comes, right? And he takes out all those that are coming, right? To destroy. He takes them out and then he what? Sets up his millennial rule. Now, the reason I bring this to your attention is that if, in fact, Revelation chapter 14 verses 17 through 20 is referring to the judgment of the battle of Armageddon, that gives us some understanding why these 144,000 are in Jerusalem with the Lamb. Okay? That's why I wanted to bring this to your attention, this context. Okay? So, let me, let me review this a little bit. Okay? Before Jesus returns, right, there's going to be an army that amasses in Megiddo. Now, where's Megiddo? It's R-H-A-R, Megiddo. That's where they get Armageddon. And most people believe that R is a hill, right? And so when you go up north in Megiddo, the valley of Megiddo, there's a hill there, right? And so when you go up north about 60 miles from Jerusalem, that's where it starts, 
okay? And so, in this valley, off that hill of Ar, in the valley of Megiddo, that's where this battle is going to take place. And in Revelation um, chapter 16, when it describes that armies come into that valley, right? They're going to come in from the east. They're going to be some waterways dried up so they can march in. And there's going to be a massive army there, and it's going to be put together by Antichrist. The purpose is Antichrist wants to invade Israel, invade, excuse me, uh, Jerusalem. And why would they want to invade Jerusalem? You ever ask that, why, why is this massive army right there in, in uh, Megiddo, in the Battle of Armageddon, why, why, why would there be an army there? Well, it's because Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Just as he did on the first time, he's going to come in through the Mount of Olives. Now, when you look at that prophecy in Zechariah, when Jesus, right, when he returns, he's going to put his foot on Mount of Olives, he's going to split. And he's going to come in right there. And the topology of Jerusalem is going to change. You can read this in the prophecy of Zechariah there. And so Jesus, when he returns, he's going to come into Jerusalem. And so, if Antichrist knows that, what's he going to do? He's going to try to take Jerusalem. You understand? That's why the armies are amassed there. And so when we read Revelation chapter 14, who's there to meet the Lord and to fight for the Lord? It's these 144,000 Jewish men that are willing to give it all for the Lord. That's the radical context here, okay? So that's why we kind of have to kind of put these things together. So with that backdrop, let's read verses 1 through 5 again. It says, Then I looked, verse 1, chapter 14, And behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, I believe that's Jerusalem, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. Okay, so this 144,000, they're sealed, has the father's name. I believe it's the Holy Spirit, and there's some distinction with the Father's name. And, I don't know, it could be visible. It could be visible in the Spirit, or it could be visible physically. But they cannot be harmed, we know, by Antichrist or, 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 uh, or the dragon or Satan, right? And so they're there in Jerusalem, and they're there what? They're meeting Jesus. When Jesus returns, that they're there. Now, it's interesting. They're surrounded by who? All the armies of Antichrist in Megiddo. And so you can see how bad these guys are. And bad in terms of a good way, right? These guys, you talk about an elite force, ready to give their life for the Lord. This is, this is them. And notice verse 2 says, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. So the seed now is in heaven. There's worship in heaven, even though I believe that this 144,000 is on this earth, in Jerusalem. And it makes sense, right? If this 144,000 is in heaven, worshiping with them, then they must have died. And thus, right, that seal didn't work. So I believe they're in Jerusalem, they're ready to fight the army of Antichrist, right? They're waiting for the Lord. They have no fear. And so it says that there's worship in heaven now. And notice in verse 3 it says, They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. Who are these four living creatures? They're called beasts in some translations. They're the good beasts, right? They're the four angels. The cherubim, right? Right around the throne. Revelation chapter 4, right? Right around the throne of grace, right? And it says, And the elders, I believe this is the church. 24 elders, 
right? They had the crowns, the Stephanos, right? The crown of victors. They're there worshiping. And it says this, no one can learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So there's worshiping going on. I believe it's a worship that these 144,000 are, are entertaining and doing right here from Jerusalem, right? The city of Jerusalem. They're worshiping. They're worshiping in the spirit and it's affecting the worship in heaven. Now, it's interesting that only these 144,000 could learn that song. Now, this does not mean that the ones in heaven couldn't learn the tune. Okay? If you look up this word, and actually um, Morris kind of comments on this, this literally means, when it says learn, it means experientially understanding. Experientially understanding. So only these 144,000 men could understand what this worship means. And let me just kind of give you an illustration. Hopefully this works for you. But I don't know if you've ever been in love, right? You may, maybe wrote love letters to your husband or wives you met. <laughs> Uh, wrote love letters to your, to your, uh, to your wife or, or wife writing to the husband. You know, it's interesting. It's specific to those two, right? Now, other people can read it and be moved by it, but there's something very special, right? Because you wrote it to each other. It's kind of like that. There's a, a special worship because this group is unique. Now, think about it. How unique are they? Have you ever seen 144,000 men on fire for the Lord like this? We're going to discuss how on fire they were. 144,000, that's a lot of people. I mean, you can't even get a, a, a small church on fire for the Lord. Can't even get like two churches on fire for the Lord, right? Fully. There's 144,000 men. And they follow the Lord wherever He goes. They're well, willing to put their life down. Antichrist has His army there. We're going to stand with the Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had 144,000 like this today? Can you... Can you imagine the movement of the Spirit? 144,000 men like this. What about just even 144 men like this? Oh, man. 144,000. Notice this. It says that only they can learn the song, that song, except the 144,000 who were redeemed from there. Now, verse 4 says, These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, many people have different interpretation. Maybe many people say spiritually, right? Spiritually, they're pure, right? I tend to take this literally. And the context I go to is, remember when Jesus said, hey, you know, it's probably better when this happens that you're not married. Probably better that you're not pregnant because Antichrist is going to chase you down. Anything slows you down, it's probably not good. And so within this context, I think this 144,000, which are sealed before the abomination of desolation, I believe, right? They're sold out. They're that elite, elite army. I think about the Navy SEALs or these, you know, Green Berets, all these things, right? They're willing to die. They're willing to die for you. To die for country, right? It's like they're willing to die for Christ. That, that's who these men are. It's a similar army like that. But it's for the Lord. And they're all Jewish. 144,000. And so, you know what? They don't have time for women. They don't have time for marriage. They don't have time for anything else but the Lord. Now, the reason I underscore this is that I want you to know that even though this seems like a sacrifice, it's not. There are wonderful blessings. And I think that that's going to happen in the Millennial Kingdom. Because these guys aren't going to perish. They're going to they're survive. And the glory of the Millennial Kingdom, when they get there, 
Right? So there's wonderful blessing for those that are set apart for the Lord. Thanks again for joining us in our podcast of Calvary Chapel Agua Park. We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching and join us again as we continue to study the Word of God. Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccechopart.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David. To God be the glory. 